Well, we're back in the book of Ephesians after a break over the Christmas and New Year holiday. And as things would work out, we have arrived at what the Apostle Paul has to say about marriage, about husbands and wives, and also about children. And particularly tonight, we'll be thinking about what he says about wives, and then next week, God willing, about what he says about husbands. But first of all, then, I just want to draw your attention to the fact that all that the Apostle says is rooted in creation in God's creation purposes for humanity. So our first reading is from Genesis chapter 2 and reading from verse 18. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Let's hear the word of God. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And then we turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up from verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water, through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. When I'm talking about Christ and the church, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Amen. We give thanks to God for these readings from his holy word. Let's just pray again together. Our blessed God and our Father in heaven, as we bow before you, we confess and acknowledge our dependence on your Holy Spirit, not just to understand what we are hearing, but to be able to put it into practice. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you grant to us ears to hear and a will to put into practice your word, because it is your word. And it is the experience of men and women of faith down through the centuries that when we align our lives to your word, then there is joy and peace. To this we pray in our Saviour's holy name. Amen. Now, from time immemorial, 
Jokes about marriage have been the staple diet of comedians. So, two weeks after their wedding day, a bride calls the minister and says, Reverend, Reverend, we've just had our first fight and it was dreadful. Calm down, says the minister. Every couple have to have their first fight. And who says the girl, but what am I going to do with the body? I guess there are so many jokes about marriage because, in fact, marriage is a serious business. The idea that two individuals can spend their whole lives together, a man and a woman at that, and that their love can endure all the ups and downs of life, really, when you think about it, it's quite staggering. We might worry about the increase of the divorce rate, but actually what is really amazing is not the increase in the divorce rate, but that actually most couples do stay together. The majority of marriages actually last. Most couples manage to weather the storms. Now, as I've said already, we've reached that stage in the letter to the Ephesians where Paul is going to deal with three key sets of relationships. Chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, it's husbands and wives. And then on to chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, it's parents and children. Then in chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, it's masters and slaves, which we can easily apply to employers and employees. In the wider context of holiness, of living, walking as children of the light, of being careful how we live, how we walk, not as unwise but as wise, of being filled with the Spirit, here is how faith in the Lord Jesus affects our home life and our work life. And it's worth noting that when the Christian publishing company Banner of Truth published Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermons on these very verses, they entitled the book Life in the Spirit in Marriage, Home and Work. Life in the Spirit in Marriage, Home and Work. And it's really important that we bear this in mind because we have not left behind the subject of practical holiness. You cannot sever this section from everything that's gone on before it. Take it out of its context and you'll get the wrong idea altogether. But read it within its context, in the context of spirit-filled living, and you will find yourself marvelling at the wisdom of our Creator God. So we begin by considering verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, for most people, the word submit has negative connotations. And if you were at Jed and Claire's wedding last Saturday, you'll remember that I was saying how that word submit conjures up in my mind those Saturday afternoon wrestling matches on the telly where the competents are trying to force one another to submit. Submit. To submit is to give way to somebody else. To submit is allowing them to win. It is allowing their argument to prevail. And it goes against the grain of every self-preservation instinct in our bodies. To submit is to surrender. It's to capitulate. It's to cave in. And that is not something we do willingly. And yet here the apostle says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now there's actually a debate amongst the Bible translators as where exactly to put that verse. Does it conclude the general section on practical holiness? Or does it begin a new section about holiness within marriage. In other words, should there be a division 
between verse 21 and verse 22? Or should they run together? And by and large, the translators have taken the view that verse 22, wives submit to your husbands, begins a new section. And so you get a heading in some of the uh, translations that this is a separate heading. It's all about wives and husbands. But my, my own view is that verse 21 really acts as a kind of bridge. It's a link. Uh, Paul has been talking about what holiness looks like in general terms. Avoiding sexual immorality. Avoiding obscene language. Embracing a thankful attitude and that kind of thing. That was general practical holiness. But now he wants to address holiness and what it looks like in specific situations. In specific situations. So whether speaking in general terms or in specific terms, what he's saying here is that holiness and humility go hand in hand. It takes humility to put off the old self. It takes humility to live as a child of the light. It takes humility to walk wisely. And so, as uh, one commentator puts it, as Christians, we are engaged in a quiet competition to put the other person first. There's a competition for you. Putting the other person first. Humility is the key to greatness in God's kingdom. Because when we are humble, we are most like Jesus Christ. Paul himself picks this up in Philippians chapter 2, doesn't he? When he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then what does he do? He spells out exactly what Christ's attitude was. That though he was in very nature God, and therefore entitled to sit on the throne of heaven, he left that behind. And he became a man, a human being. A man who served a man who humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. That is what the spirit in every believer should be like. That is how we should live. So yes, you do have your rights, but don't demand them. Yes, we have our own ideas, but we don't impose them on others. Yes, we have our talent, but we don't exploit them. That's what Paul is saying here. Submit to one another. So, we are now about to launch into what has become one of the most controversial sections of the Bible. And actually more than controversial. This, is a, this passage is hated. It's despised. It's ridiculed. It's misused. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And of course, as you know, domineering husbands have used this, still use this text, to keep their little woman in her place. Often, it has to be said, supported by the church. So it's no surprise that with the rise of feminism, this text has been a target for all the hurt and all the frustration, all that sense of exploitation that is felt by women. And what do they say? They say, well, here is a text that proves that Christianity is unredeemably patriarchal. This is a religion by men for men. And all self-respecting women ought to have nothing to do with it. And as a result of this attack, many Christian scholars have tried to reinterpret what Paul is saying here. Now, I'm going to try and see the best in that and, and say that their motives are good. Uh, the, the, the scholars who are doing this, they're wanting to demonstrate that biblical Christianity is not a charter for male chauvinism. That, that biblical Christianity asserts the dignity of women as created in the image of God alongside men. Uh, that biblical Christianity does not give permission to men, to husbands, to dominate their wives. So their motives are good. 
But the glaringly obvious problem with this approach is that when it comes to speak, when Paul comes to speak specifically about the relationship between husbands and wives, he emphatically states, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But he doesn't tell husbands to do the same. He doesn't tell husbands to do likewise. Husbands are to love their wives, he says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, as we'll see in a later week, the kind of love to which a husband is to love his wife is extraordinarily sacrificial. And that's a tall order. But the husband is not told to submit to his wife. Indeed, when we look at the other two relationships that, deal, that, that, that Paul deals with, to the parents and children and the slaves and masters, Paul never reverses the expectations. Children are told to obey your parents. Parents are not told to obey their children. Slaves are told to obey their masters. Masters are not told to obey their slaves. There is no symmetry in these relationships. The obligation placed on parents and masters is different. They're not mirror images of what is expected of children and slaves. So that's why I think it is correct to read verse 21, submit to one another, as both a conclusion to Paul's teaching on practical holiness and as a bridge into how a woman demonstrates holiness within her marriage. To be more precise, when Paul tells us to submit to one another, he is not telling us to submit indiscriminately. We have to exercise wisdom. We have to recognise that within certain relationships, there is an expectation that one party will submit to the other as of right. After all, when a police officer asks us, what are you doing and where are you going? We might resent being stopped and questioned, but we submit, don't we? Because he has a right to ask these questions. We do not, in turn, have a right to interrogate the police officer. Within a marriage, the wife is to be submissive to the husband. Likewise, if the, if, if the husband is a church member, he is obliged to submit to the church leadership. And in turn, within our Presbyterian system, our church leadership is obliged to submit to the presbytery and to the General Assembly. Within certain relationships, there is an expectation that one will submit to the other. Ultimately, of course, the whole church must submit herself to Christ. And here's the reason. Here is why we pay heed to this call to submission. Because Paul says it's out of reverence for Christ. It's out of reverence for Christ. It's not out of fear of a bullying husband or an authoritarian parent, or an unreasonable employer. It's out of reverence for Christ. Literally, it's fear of Christ. Fear of Christ. In the light of Christ's power and holiness, believers will be subordinate to those who have authority over them. Indeed, we should note that it is the Lord Jesus who is the model and the motivation for the way we order all our relationships. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, he advised masters to treat their slaves well because he said that way they'll be more productive. Paul tells masters to treat their slaves well because you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. So this is what we need to keep in mind 
that Paul's agenda for the family and the workplace, it's not that he wants a well-ordered state or that he wants us to have profitable businesses. Although I would suggest that these would be happy byproducts from taking Paul seriously. Paul is merely, he's not merely reflecting and confirming the social conditions of his day. He's saying this is all about Jesus. This is allowing the transforming power of Jesus to affect our everyday lives. This is what holiness looks like in the home and on the shop floor. That's what we need to keep in mind. And when we keep that in mind, we're only now in a position to consider what the Apostle says specifically about marriage. And particularly this week about wives. Uh, Paul deals with wives first. Uh, I should point out that uh, wives are only getting half a sermon, whereas next week the men are going to require a whole sermon. And, uh, of course, I'm following Paul's example here. You'll notice that the women only need three verses. The men need nine. Now, as I said earlier on, marriage is God's idea. That's why we read from Genesis chapter 2. We were told that having created the first man, Adam, God presented him with the first woman. And God did this after persuading Adam quite convincingly that among the animals there was no suitable helper for him. In marriage, a man and a woman become one flesh. So in marriage, it's one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. That unity is most intimately expressed in sexual intercourse, something which must remain exclusive to the couple. The Bible teaches us that marriage is to be a lifelong partnership. Divorce is permitted, but it is a last resort and is a tragedy. The marriage relationship is the supreme relationship. It supersedes the parent-child relationship and in both directions. So children must not be allowed to come between their parents and drive the couple apart. Parents must not interfere in their children's marriages. Marriage is the supreme relationship. And this high status of marriage is demonstrated in the fact that no other human relationship better describes the relationship between God and his people. We see that throughout the Old Testament, don't we? Never more clearly in the prophecy of Hosea. If you know the prophecy of Hosea, you'll know that it is predicated on the image of Israel being an unfaithful wife. By turning their backs on the Lord and worshipping idols, they were in effect an adulterous wife. And that is an image that several of the prophets employ. And this is what's behind Paul's thinking when he says in verse 32 that it's, it's a profound mystery. It's a mystery of Christ and his church. So, before we get into the details of wives submitting to their husbands, which is so counter to the prevailing attitude in our culture, so alien, I would wager, to the experience of most of the couples that you know personally, before we get into all that, and before some of you start getting hot and bothered under the collar, remember that from the very beginning, God designed marriage as a picture of the relationship that would someday exist between Christ and his church. It's no exaggeration to say that in the Garden of Eden, God was thinking about his son and his people when he created man and woman. And that's why the Lord Jesus sometimes referred to himself as the, the bridegroom. That's why so many of his kingdom parables are about wedding feasts. 
That's why the book of Revelation describes the new Jerusalem, that city which represents the people of God, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's why the angels rejoice at Christ's victory over his enemies. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And also, may I say, this is why the institution of marriage is a prime target of Satan. I think of it like this. You know how in countries that despise America, but they're powerless to attack America. So you get these mobs together, and what do they do? They burn the stars and stripes, don't they? You see it, don't you? They're burning the, the, the American flag, the stars and stripes, which is a symbol of America. That's what I picture Satan as like. He cannot come between the lamb and his bride, but he can damage. He can deface the picture, the symbol of the union between Christ and his church. So when it comes to marriage, my friends, whether it's a Christian marriage or not, actually, the stakes are high. Every marriage, every marriage is a portrait of Christ and his church. Some of those portraits are hideous, aren't they? They look nothing like the subject. And they're proclaiming a lie. They're proclaiming a slanderous lie about the Lord. But when a couple desire to reflect the glory of the Lord, and not just as individuals, but as a couple, then Christ is exalted. Christ is glorified. In fact, I would go as far as to say, that the relationship is evangelistic. In and of itself, that marriage has a missionary force to it. That image of Christ's love for his church. So for the wife then, that means submitting to her husband. Now I'm guessing that as 21st century men and women, you have a lot of questions going on in your heads. And I will try and answer some of them. But before we, get, before we get to that, can I just ask you, would you just allow the plain, unadulterated, undiluted word of God to penetrate your mind? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submit. It doesn't say agree. He says, submit. That implies that God has established a certain leadership and authority within the family. Submission recognizes that. Actually, the tone of the Greek verb here actually has the sense of submit voluntarily. Wives, freely, without coercion, submit yourselves to your husbands. And do so as unto the Lord. There again, there's your motivation. As unto the Lord. Wives, this is one of the ways you serve the Lord. This is one of the ways you demonstrate that you are actually a Christian. Verse 22. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ is the head or the ruler of the church, so the husband is the head or ruler of the wife. This is the creation order. By God could have created men and women simultaneously if he'd wanted. But he didn't do that. He created man first. It was Adam who was placed in the garden. It was Adam who was told to, to work it and to take care of it. It was Adam who was told to name the animals. None of this takes away from the dignity of women. Woman has her own dignity, her own specific dignity. What I'm stating 
categorically and emphatically, that God, according to his word, has deliberately ordered things so that man was given the leadership role. He's not self-sufficient. It's not good for the man to be alone. He needs a helper. Some more than others. He needs someone to complement him. Complement in the sense of complete him. Complete him. So we're not saying that man is self-sufficient. He needs a helper. But it is quite clear that the Bible teaches the headship, the authority of the man, the husband, in the home, in the church, and I would even say in society as well. That the very nature of things tells us that this is so, no matter how much we try to pretend otherwise. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So let's ask ourselves, how does the church submit to Christ? Well, she submits by listening to his voice, by following him wherever he leads, no matter the cost. The church does not try to mold Jesus into someone or something more acceptable. The church does not try and change Jesus into someone who sees things our way. Rather, with uninhibited and unrestrained trust, the church gladly submits to the rule of the Lord Jesus. That's how the church submits to Christ. And in the same way, wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, are there questions swirling around in your mind? Let me guess some of them. First of all, does this principle still stand if the, Christian is not, if the husband is not a Christian? And the answer is yes, it does. Because the principle is rooted in creation, not in redemption. So it doesn't matter whether the husband is a Christian or not. Think again about what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive, submissive to your husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, any of them are not Christians, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. So do not try to convert your unbelieving husband by nagging him or scolding him or putting wee tracks in his lunchbox. Your witness comes from the purity of your life, the reverence of your life. Give him the respect, the submission that is rightfully his, which so many of his friends are denied by their wives. And then let the Holy Spirit do his work. Here's the second question you might be asking yourself. Does this mean that the wife has to do everything that the husband says? Well, the answer to that is no. Because if his desire is in flat contradiction to the word of God, then the rule that we obey God rather than men then comes into play. Biblical example, Abigail. The wife of that fool, Nabal. We read about in 1 Samuel 25. If you remember the story, Nabal treated David with contempt and thus endangered the lives of his entire household. Abigail defied her husband by providing David and his men with food. And she did the right thing because she saved her husband's life and the lives of the whole household. So if a husband is requiring his wife to do things that she knows are not of the Lord, you take it to the Lord. You pray about it. You ask for wisdom. Ask the Lord to speak to the husband somehow to show, them, to show him that he's in the wrong. And pray that the Holy Spirit would resolve the conflict. Third question then, last question. 
Paul says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Does that mean that a wife's submission to her husband is conditional on him loving her? And again, the answer is no. Wives are told to submit. Husbands are told to love. Each must obey the relevant command and will be judged accordingly. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Well, next week we'll be looking at what Scripture says to the husbands. In the meantime, though, may the Lord grant all of us the grace to accept his teaching and submit ourselves to whatever our situation is, whether we're married or unmarried. Because when we do that, then he will receive all the praise and all the glory. Let's pray together. Blessed God and our Father in heaven, the wisdom of your word shines forth. It may indeed rankle with our fallen natures. And we may find ourselves wondering how on earth we could put this into practice. But Lord, help us to remember that it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he is our model, he is our motivation to live as you would have us live. So help us, Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to submit to one another and to submit particularly to those who have the right to our submission. And rather than humiliating ourselves, we humble ourselves. And as a world of difference, we humble ourselves in your presence so that Jesus will receive all the praise and all the glory. And in his name we pray. Amen.